Our first Bible reading this evening is the first half of Acts chapter 15, which speaks of some of the disagreements, or one of the disagreements that afflicted the early church. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe God, who knows the heart. Sorry, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles the people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues, on every Sabbath. Our second reading is from Acts chapter 15, continuing verses 22 to 41. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church 
decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with a blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Thanks be to God. Two men who lived in a small village got into a terrible dispute that they could not resolve. So they decided to go and talk to the town sage. The first man went to the sage's home and told his version of what happened. When he finished, the sage said, you're absolutely right. The next night, the second man called on the sage and told his side of the story. The sage responded, you're absolutely right. Afterwards, the sage's wife scolded her husband. 
Those men told you two completely different stories. And you told them both that they were absolutely right. That's impossible. They cannot both be absolutely right. The sage turned to his wife and said, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Conflict and disagreement. It's something that I'm sure we'll all come across at one time or another. And this Bible passage from Acts 15 is all about conflict and disagreement. And so, as so often in Acts, we often get a condensed account of what probably happened over a couple of months. And it all began with the introduction of a very plausible view from some of the Jewish Christians about how people were to be saved. And there was lots of disagreement. The Jewish Christians said that they had to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved, whilst others said that you can only gain salvation through grace. You see, the Jewish Christians were speaking to the Gentile believers who had just come out of paganism. They'd been idolaters. They'd been involved in all sorts of sexual immorality. They were keen for them to get things right as they saw it. But it all caused a bit of an intense disagreement. And Paul and Barnabas, of course, disagreed with what was being taught. You see, the Gentiles had been living lives full of all sorts of things that had been better without And they were full of despair. But then God saved them. God saved them and everything changed. And they were now rejoicing. And it was to that situation that the Jewish believers gave their idea of what the rules should be. But the problem really was that whilst they were saying you need to be circumcised, they were essentially saying in order to become a Christian, you should first become a Jew. Unless you become a Jew, then you're a second-class Christian, if a Christian at all. I.e., you've got to become like us in order to fit in. Paul and Barnabas, quite understandably, weren't happy with what they were hearing. The debate was an issue of eternal significance, of whether someone was going to gain salvation or not. And so they obviously wanted to set the story straight. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go to the church in Jerusalem it doesn't mean that they were unsure about the truth, just that they wanted to put, this, um, put everything right. They travelled to Jerusalem, and on their way, they told people about the con- conversion of the Gentiles. They spoke of all that God had done in and through them. And when they arrived there, they were welcomed by the church, where they also told of what God had done with them. But a Pharisee said, uh, one who used to be a Pharisee, Uh, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Essentially, they were debating about how somebody was to be saved. They'd not only managed to see that Jesus brings salvation, but they'd added in their old way of doing things as part of the requirement. Yes, they required faith in Jesus, but they also required something that was no longer relevant. They were saying that faith in Christ alone was not enough to please God. Now, this specific issue has long since gone as a specific concern for us, but the principle is sadly still alive and well these days. There are people who make the mistake, the same mistakes in this day and age as well. They know the basis by which we're meant to be saved, but they add their own requirements too. Some people think that only one sort of church has the answer, And that you have to belong to a particular church or other 
in order to be saved. Others, thankfully, are much more gracious. Some Christians even say that as long as you do your best and live a good life, then you'll get into heaven. Doing your best and not doing wrong is obviously important, but they're not what saves you. Only Jesus can do that. And some say that unless you're baptised, then you can't be saved either. When I was at uni, I met a whole load of people who believed this so much that they believed if you were on your way to be baptised but got run over by a bus, then tough luck, no salvation for you. And I'm not saying that baptism isn't important. I'd be in the wrong job if I was. But these things and a whole load more are the kind of things that people debate these days. And that's exactly what was going on in the early church. It was a difficult thing to deal with because it had power over these new Christians. They hadn't yet been taught all that much and the whole idea sounded very plausible. When you think about it, the people who came with this suggestion in the first place were very sincere about what they were saying. They weren't trying to cause trouble. They weren't They were just deeply convinced by what they were passing across as an essential thing for Christians to do. The men were so sincere, they made it believable. How often do we wander from the truth because of things that sound believable? But it also looked like it had scriptural support. There are passages in the Old Testament that say ultimately Israel will rule over the Gentile nations and that the Jews were set aside as God's own people to have a relationship with him. They'll have undoubtedly chosen all of the ones that supported this and missed out things that balanced it out. But this issue caused a massive debate. Those early Christians assumed that the men was right and so they they weren't open to the truth that what God was going to reveal. Paul said, very simply, that there was a new truth about Jews and Gentiles becoming one body through Jesus. And this, of course, was never mentioned in the Old Testament, so it was difficult for him to prove. But it really was a new way of living brought about through Jesus. And whilst we think we're not really in danger of coming across this kind of debate caused by false teachers here, we might be in danger of allowing false teaching to enter our thinking. So many Christians think they need to earn God's approval or they must do something amazing for God in order to be forgiven. And that is essentially the same mistake. But it's all well and good to say that we must be saved by faith. But what exactly do we need to remember about that? Well, first of all, it's important that we acknowledge that we're all the same. All the same, as in we all have the same problem, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But equally, we all have the same opportunity to accept the grace and forgiveness that Jesus offers us. We can all, without exception, be saved by grace if we accept it. And we're also all equal. It doesn't matter who we are or where we're from or what we do for a living, Anyone and everyone who accepts Jesus as their saviour will be saved. And so, whilst it's easy to look back at these early Christians and the mistakes that people have made throughout the church history, it's really, we need to be aware of the fact that if we're not careful, we can do the same. We need to make sure that we don't add in our own little requirements, which will 
in the end get in the way of the good news of Jesus. And remember that actually the good news of Jesus is for everyone. We're all one. We're all equal in the eyes of God. It's important that we remember that as we consider how this was handled in the early church. And notice too that whilst these Christians were discussing their views, they didn't settle anything with a majority vote. They were seeking the mind of the Spirit, which would be expressed in a sense of unity that they would all recognise. And after a while, Peter said, and this is the message translation, I think it puts it really quite well, it says... Friends, you well know that from an early on, God made it quite plain that he wanted the pagans to hear the message of this good news and embrace it. And not in any second-hand or roundabout way, but first-hand, straight from my mouth. And God, who can't be fooled by any pretense on our part, but always knows a person's thoughts, gave them the Holy Spirit exactly as he gave him to us. He treated outsiders exactly as he treated us, beginning at the very centre of who they were and working from that centre outward, cleaning up their lives as they trusted and believed him. So, why are you now trying to out-God God? Loading these new believers down with rules that crushed our ancestors and crushed us too? Don't we believe that we are saved because the Master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved us moved to save us, just as he did to those who from beyond our nation. So what are we arguing about? He openly admits that their efforts to obey the law were incredibly hard and burdensome. And so the challenge was, why would they make everyone else have to do that too? Nobody ever came to God by trying to be good. No one ever came to him that way. No Jew, no Gentile, nobody. The effort to do um, that, that effort was only a crushing burden to them and it was too much for them to bear. And then he says to the Jews, look, I believe that we Jews shall be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as those Gentiles will. In other words, the norm for God's operation in saving men is more visible in the lives of the Gentiles than when he saves a Jew. The Jew often confused his efforts, um, confused the issue with his efforts of self-righteousness. But the Gentile didn't try that. He just accepted the grace of God because he had no other way to turn. So Peter says, I have come to see that the Jews are on exactly the same basis as these Gentiles when it comes to being saved. Saved by grace. No additional requirements or complications that us humans try to add on to things. Grace. And at that they all fell silent and listened to Paul and Barnabas talk about how God had used them to speak to the Gentiles. To speak about all of the wonderful things that God had done through them and the many signs and wonders that they'd seen. And throughout they told of how God had saved many people despite them being undeserving and uncircumcised. Christ died for all all people, not just one group. You see, the false teachers had pretty much tried to argue that the Gentiles needed to find salvation through the Jewish tradition, essentially saying that they had to become like them in order to become a Christian. 
How often are we in danger of doing that? But obviously Peter squashed the argument and he said that all Jewish people are saved in the same way that the Gentiles were, through faith alone. And James backed up what Peter had been saying with words from the prophets and saying how God is calling together a people from all over the world. So when James spoke, he said, instead of making things difficult for the Gentiles, let's just give them a set of simple rules to follow. So let's think about what he said. He spoke about the activity of God, regardless of what we do or don't do. People were talking about what the Gentiles had to do in order to be saved, but they were ignoring one very important fact. Those Gentiles were already saved. God had already been saving the Gentiles without asking anyone's permission to do so. And he was doing it without any ritual, without any reference to the law of Moses or these man-made limitations. And they could not argue with that. They had to take notice of the direction of God's activity. They saw that God was already proving them wrong and doing what they said couldn't be done. You see, God doesn't need our permission to act. God doesn't need special rituals in order to speak to his people. God will do what God will do. But we need to be available and willing to be part of that. And James gave some very practical suggestions for a letter to the Gentile believers designed to settle the matter. He said they should abstain from food polluted by idols, from meat from strangled animals and from blood, and from sexual immorality. And the thing is that if the Gentiles ate the animals that were strangled um, and ate blood, then they'd be unable to spend time with the Jewish believers who kept sticking to the dietary laws. So James suggested that it might be better for them to observe that too, for the sake of unity. Whilst not entirely necessary, it was probably there to preserve harmony, something that I'm sure we all have to do from time to time. But James's final point was to speak about the purpose, well, God's purposes for today. He says, Peter has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take, them, to take out of them a people for his name. That's what God has been doing throughout history. There's the focus. For the entire record of human life, this one thing God is always doing. He's calling out people for his name. Everything that happens in history or current events somehow relates to that great plan of God. God is calling together his people. Salvation is to be gained through grace alone and not through any human work. It's not something that can be earned and it's not something with a whole load of unnecessary requirements. But they recognised that for Jews and Gentiles to be able to get on together, they had to make adjustments. There's still a requirement for God's people to be holy, which is what they chose to focus on. It's not about a list of rules and regulations. It's about a relationship with the living God that leads us to live holy lives. A relationship through which we're invited to become more and more like him. Salvation isn't anything we can earn. It's a free gift from God. A free gift that's for anyone and everyone, no matter what. 
God is calling together a people for his name's sake. That is what God is doing in the world, amongst other things. But somehow everything relates to that. God is using people to reach out to all nations and all cultures of the world, to call out from among them his people. And we need to be part of that. We need to be willing to be involved in God's great plan. And so the challenge is simply this. What am I doing about it? Where do we fit into this? Are we concerned about that, what concerns God? And are we involved in what God is involved with? Telling people, passing on the message of the good news for the sake of his name. Let's pray together.